We welcome you to this Bible class in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the final paragraph. We have just recently started our studies in 1 Timothy, and after that we'll go to 2 Timothy and Titus. These three letters from God through Paul to two evangelists, Timothy and Titus, hold great value for Christians today. Paul urged Timothy to stay in Ephesus to wage the good warfare, preaching and teaching the gospel and living in accordance with that message. We're going to take a closer look at verse 17, and then we'll go through those verses from verse 17 to the end of chapter 1. I had something to say about this section in the previous class, but feel like I need to go back and put our attention on verse 17 and the rest of 1 Timothy chapter 1. In that previous class, we were looking at Paul's personal reference to his own experience, receiving good things from a gracious God, and how his case became a pattern and illustration showing the patience and mercy of God. And that leads to this statement we're going to concentrate on first in this class. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is sometimes called a doxology, and that simply means a statement of praise to God with words and phrases put together, stacked together, to express the perfection and glory of the Creator. Sometimes in the Bible, these occur right after the writer has related something very personal regarding some blessing from God. So the Apostle Paul has just mentioned the grace of God he received in being saved, the patience of God exhibited in his case, his appointment to the apostleship, that leads to this exuberant doxology, this personal expression of reverence for God. God is called the King of Ages. God rules, the Bible says. Other terminology may be used in various translations. He reigns. He is sovereign. He is second to no one able to overrule evil for good, having perfect predetermined desires and goals. Psalm 145.13 declares his dominion endures throughout all generations. Here's something I mentioned from time to time in classes and in sermons. It is essential for us to know what the Bible says about who God is. We often speak of what he has done. We are legitimately focused on what he has said that we ought to do to be recipients of his grace, to glorify him. We should also include who God is in that body of knowledge that we hold. God, as described in the Bible, needs to be a part of our knowledge and our response to God. And this passage helps us with that. The next word in verse 17 is immortal. 
With God, that means not only never will die, but has always existed. Not only never will die, but has always existed. It is not meant for us to analyze, objectify, or review, but is a statement of truth that God is immortal. One of my favorite resources has this paragraph I thought was well stated. This is from the Hendrickson Kistemaker Commentary. This implies that he is the eternal God and as such imperishable. His arms never become tired. He never grows weary. Death and decay are not applicable to him. He never changes. On the contrary, he is the inexhaustible resource of strength ever new for his people. Isaiah 40, 29 to 31. For the doctrine of God's imperishability, see also Romans 1, 23. And in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16, the synonym, immortality. So God is the king of ages, immortal. And then it says, the only God. The Old Testament is loaded with these affirmations that there is only one God. And that's not just a cold academic numerical fact. It is a rich benefit to man that there is only one God. His singularity explains his superiority, his power, and his might. Paul says, still extolling the praises of God, to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. After identifying the glory of God, Paul turns to the obligation of man to this God with this call to honor him, to glorify him. To this we are called by the gospel. Through Christ, this is possible. We can honor and glorify God, having had our sins forgiven. So this is an outburst from the heart of God, who had himself, Paul, had him. I'm sorry, this is an outburst from the heart of Paul, who had himself been saved from sin by God through Jesus Christ. He renders this praise to God verbally and calls upon all of us to render this praise to God, not just in a doxology, but with our lives by honoring him forever and ever. Next, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. 
There are two words here we need to talk about, charge and entrust. In the King James, charge and commit. In the New International Version, command and keep. I'm using the English Standard Version, and it says charge and entrust. Uh, there is a simple idea here that's very important. A task was assigned to Timothy. Paul is urging him to consider that, to consider that as a stewardship entrusted to him. So it is a call to responsibility to take hold of every aspect of the work of preaching the gospel and living the gospel and not let anything stand in the way. To stress the importance of this, Paul reminds Timothy that prophecies had been made about him. I cannot take you to some passage and give you the details of that, but Timothy had been called by God, identified by God, brought into this work through apostolic prophecy. The point here is not to give us something to try and figure out, but rather to give Timothy a rich reminder of the solemn task he needed to fulfill in his life and work. And the imperative here is to wage the good warfare. Now, that's not a genetic recommendation to fight, to be aggressive or combative. It is a specific task of preaching and living the gospel and standing opposed to all evil. It helps us understand there is a war going on between good and evil, between truth and error. Those who take up the work of preaching and teaching the gospel are like frontline soldiers in the war, using the sword of the Spirit, wearing the armor of God in their lives and protecting and defending the gospel. Timothy has received from God through Paul a charge, a task, he is to be faithful to that task, willing to wage the good warfare. Remember earlier in chapter 1, Paul told Timothy to charge certain men not to teach a different doctrine. I know I'm reviewing some of the information we covered before in the previous class, but I'm adding some detail to it. To do this work, to accept and fulfill this charge, Timothy must hold faith and a good conscience. To hold something is to keep it. Have it firmly in your grasp, refusing to let it go. In order to wage the good warfare of preaching the gospel, Timothy must himself, in his own heart and life, hold faith in Christ firmly and act in a way that exhibits good conscience. There is an idea here of clinging to the truth against all opposition, but that requires personal faith and conscience. 17 and 18 together. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Verse 19. Verse 19. We're still in 1 Timothy 1, 
and we're looking at verse 19 and 20, and I want to pick up at this point. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. It is interesting how two metaphors are combined in this text, soldier and sailor, navy and army. Timothy is to be like an active duty soldier, waging good warfare, that's army. He does this being aware that some sailors have shipwrecked the faith, have wrecked the ship of faith. And two men are named. Earlier, back in verse 6, Paul had made certain general references to false teachers, certain persons. Now he deems it necessary to name these two evil workers who had run aground, who had wrecked the ship. These two men may have some connection to the false teachers identified in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 17, who were upsetting the faith of Christians, claiming the resurrection had already happened. In fact, one of those had the same name as one of these, Hymenaeus. If that connection seems strained, what is clear is these men were in the enemy camp. We use the expression train wreck. Paul had to go with shipwreck. Paul, as an apostle, had taken some action to make it clear to them and to all they had wrecked the ship. And that's in the phrase, delivering them unto Satan. The same language used by Paul over in 1 Corinthians 5 when Paul told the church at Corinth to withdraw from the impenitent member who was guilty of sexual immorality. It may sound harsh, but may I remind us the purpose is remedial, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Sometimes it is clear that certain people are not on the right course. They're taking people to a spiritual wreck. Clear emergency responses are necessary. And that's captured here. Listen again, 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme." We need to get to our takeaways. Our takeaways. Like Paul, we should not hold back singing the praises of God. Using language like Paul uses here to express to God and to others the glory of God, it serves a spiritually healthy purpose to keep well in mind who God is, to sing to him our praise and thanksgiving. One way to do this is through song, with our voices blended together in song, but from the heart, it must always come from the heart. Then 
in our prayers, our preaching, our teaching, in conversations with people. We, we should never hesitate to praise God and state clearly who he is in his almighty glory, the creator, the king of the ages, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Then I want to recommend when you finish this video, you go over in the New Testament to a passage I mentioned earlier. I alluded to about waging the good warfare, the armor the Christian must wear, and the sword of the Spirit that is our weapon. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Like Timothy, we must be faithful to the charge, the calling from God to be his people and wage the good warfare. I'll leave you with this. The well-known preacher of the past, Marshall Keeble, once preached on this text, and he said, folks, if you ever see Hymenaeus and Alexander, tell them I said goodbye, unless they are ready to repent. Thank you for listening.